Lord, as we uh, come before you this morning, I ask that as we take a look at your word, that you would comfort us with your word, that um, you would change us, that you would draw us to yourself uh, in, in worship. Uh, pray this in, in your name. Amen. Um, have you ever been afraid? Uh, fear can be powerful. Fear can be a controlling factor in our lives as it stirs up emotions, grips our heart. Fear can affect our thoughts and our decision-making. I, I believe that if we're, if we're honest, we've all been afraid about something at some point in our life. Uh, there's uh, also probably something in the future that we'll be afraid of, that will stir up fear. So what does the Bible say about fear? How should we respond to fear? The way we answer these questions is important because fear is a common thing that we face in life. Thankfully, God speaks a lot about fear in the scriptures, and God provides us with an answer of how to respond to fear, the fears that we face in life. The passage that we're going to study this morning is Psalm 56. Uh, but before I read it, let's look at the situation that's surrounding David that spurred him to write Psalm 56. So turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. So at this point in the life of David, Samuel has already anointed David as king of Israel. And David then enters into the service of King Saul because uh, he, he's a good musician. And so David plays music for Saul as he's not feeling well. And David also becomes his armor bearer. So after this has taken place, uh, the Philistines, who are an enemy of Israel, gather their armies to fight uh, against Israel. And so this is then where there's the fight between David and Goliath, where David slings a stone into the head of Goliath and, and kills him. And the response of the people of Israel is to praise David for the victory over the Philistines, and they decide to, to sing a little song, uh, saying, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So this makes King Saul rather upset, as he is jealous of David because of this. That he wants to be praised by the people, and he's not happy that David is being praised more than him. Saul even tries to kill David by throwing a spear at him in hopes of pinning him against the wall. He is enraged by the success of David and how the people responded to him. So this continues, and eventually Jonathan, who is Saul's son, and also best friends with, with David, warns David that Saul is wanting to kill him. So David runs away. He's running for his life, which brings us to uh, where we are here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. Um, and the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here. 
wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him and Dances. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart, and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen, that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So this is a strange passage. Uh, David had just received the sword of Goliath from this priest. And then the next verse, did you notice where David fled to? David runs away from his own king, King Saul, king of Israel, and runs to Gath, one of the cities of Israel's enemies, which happens to be the hometown of Goliath, uh, who he just killed a little bit ago. David is afraid for his life. It's, it's sad that he's running away from his own people, his own king, um, and he runs to the hometown of Goliath, and not only that, but he has the sword of Goliath with him. That's pretty strange. Um, if you ask me, the people of Gath, they, they recognize him, and even know that, that little song that the Israelites sang about David and Saul, David hears this and takes it to heart and is afraid. In his fear, David pretends to be a, a madman, making marks on the gate and allowing his saliva to uh, run out of his mouth. He eventually escapes from Gath and finds a cave to hide in. So with this history in mind, this event taking place, turn to Psalm 56 we're going to read Psalm 56 with all of this, this situation in mind. Okay. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps, and they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, my tears are in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. 
This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So how does the word of God instruct us to respond to the fears we face in life? In answering this question, I see at least three responses to fear that are not only helpful for our own hearts, but also honor the Lord. So the first response, in the face of fear, place your trust in the Lord. In the face of fear, place your trust in the Lord. This gets straight to the heart of fear. Fear has to do with trust. Uh, Fear has to do with who or what we are trusting in for our well-being. Our trust is uh, something that we can place onto things in life. Look at the first couple verses of the psalm. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Again, remember, David, in the midst of a trying situation, running from his own king, his own people, the Israelites, uh, run to Gath, a large city of the enemies of Israel. He's in the middle of a situation where he's not able to trust people. Um, he, he can't trust the king of his own people. Saul has already tried to kill him and is still trying to kill him. He doesn't trust the Philistines as he decides to act like a madman, making marks on doors and allowing saliva to run down his face. Who can David trust? Who is trustworthy? God is. When we place our trust on something, we're trusting that it is true. If we trust something, we're believing it to be true, that that it is trustworthy. A piece of trusting in God is to set our mind on the truth, to meditate on what is true. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I, I have to be honest and, and tell you that this is difficult for me. Um, part of the reason I, I wanted to preach on this passage is because God is currently working in my heart in the face of fears in life, in my own life, um, to trust him. And there keeps being things that come up that stir up fear in my heart. Um, I, I need this sermon. Um, fear has to do with, with trust. I'm, I'm fearful of what the weather is going to be like uh, when, when the baby decides to come, getting to the hospital safely. Uh, this week we, we learned that the baby's breech, and so we have to try to flip the baby, and so that didn't calm my fears of getting to the hospital safely in the midst of, of weather. Um, but do you see how fear has to do with trust? Can I trust the weather to be good? Can I trust that the baby is going to come at the right perfect time? Um, 
these issues of trust can stir up fear in our hearts. And when I'm fearful or anxious about something, I tend to do two different things, depending upon the circumstances. The first thing, I can, I can look into the past and think about what could have happened if things had gone differently or if I had made a different decision. And I can work myself up about what never happened. And my mind can get stuck in imagining the past. And the second thing I tend to do is to look into the future and imagine what could happen in the future. I can imagine terrible situations that could potentially go wrong, if, according to my mind. Um, and both of these things, thinking about what could have happened in the past or thinking about what could happen in the future, are to be meditating on what is false. It's meditating on what is false, not on what's true. What I imagine about what could have happened in the past, that didn't happen. What I am imagining about what could happen in the future, it hasn't happened. And in in doing this, I can work myself up uh, as I grow fearful. Um, So I don't know if you can relate with that, with my experience in that, but I want to say this plainly, that's that's sin in my life. Uh, This is a way that I sin in fear. Um, We don't live in a world of what-ifs. The the what-if game can go on forever. Uh, There's an infinite amount of scenarios that we can think of and become fearful of. Uh, Scripture is clear about what we are to think about. Philippians 4.8 is helpful in this and what to think about. Finally, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Meditating on the truth is a response to fear that, by God's grace, we must build into our life. As we are meditating on the truth, we'll be meditating on the Lord, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And meditating on the truth is an outflow of having our trust placed upon God. And God is worthy of our trust because he is trustworthy. Psalm 56 paints an incredible picture of the character of God and the character of man. Look at how David describes these people, his his enemies that he's running from. He says that man tramples on him all day long. They oppress him. They attack him proudly. All day long they injure his cause. All their thoughts are against him for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch his steps and wait for his life. Are these people worthy of trust? Notice that he describes these people attacking him, trampling on him all day long. We see that phrase all day long a few times. This is the character of man. 
doing evil all day long. This is horrifying and seemingly hopeless. However, what do we see about the character of God? We see that God is gracious, as David calls out for the grace of God. We see that God is trustworthy, as David places his trust in God when he is afraid for his life. We see that God is praiseworthy. And look at verse 8. Psalm 56, verse 8. And think about what this verse expresses about the character of God as I read it. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Do you see how caring God is for his people? God sees our sleepless nights as we toss to and fro in the bed searching for sleep. He sees that. The tears that you cry over painful circumstances, over the grief that you experience in life, God knows that, cares about that. This is in direct contrast to the people who are out to harm David. David knows and remembers that God cares for him. Because of this, he knows that he's able to place his trust in the Lord, who is able to ultimately deliver him from his enemies who mean to do him harm. This is exactly what he mentions in the following verse, where he says, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. God does not ignore the cries of his people. He does not ignore the suffering of his people. He does not ignore the concerns of his people. God cares for his people and is for his people. And Paul reminds his readers in in the book of Romans of the same truth. He says in Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The character of sinful man is to trample on God's people all day long, oppressing all day long, attacking all day long, thinking evil thoughts. But the character of God is different. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Not just a day, but forever. Consider the faithfulness of God as we respond to fear by placing our trust in our trustworthy God. Second Thessalonians 3, 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. In Hebrews 10, 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. We have seen that a biblical response to fear is to place our trust in God. And God is trustworthy. He has proven himself to be trustworthy. So the next time fear takes hold of your heart, whatever it is you're fearful of, think about what you're placing your trust in. And I urge you to place your trust in the Lord because he is trustworthy, he is faithful, and he is for you. In the face of fear, place your trust in the Lord. Secondly, in the face of fear, direct your worship towards God. In the face of fear, direct your worship towards God. What does worship have to do with the fears that we face in life? 
Well, uh, this relates to what we just talked about in terms of placing our, our trust in God. Uh, worship and praise is an overflow of, of trust. And this can be seen in, even in the little things of, of life where we praise things for their quality, like going to a restaurant and you experience good service, good food, then that restaurant has earned your trust and you tend to praise them by telling other people about your experience, that your good experience that you had at that restaurant, how, how good the service was, how good the food was. And in contrast, if you had a bad experience, uh, praise for them is not really what's coming out of your mouth or coming to your mind. You don't trust them because they didn't provide you with a good service. Praise will come out of trust. Look at verse 3, Psalm 56. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Trust has been placed in the Lord and praise then comes from his lips. And this worship that David speaks of is directly attached to the word of God. He says, whose word I praise. The word of God is an essential component to the worship of God. Part of worshiping in spirit and truth is that we worship based upon the truth of the word. The truth of who God is has been revealed to us through the word of God. If God did not provide us his word, we would not have the revelation of himself that is in his word. And that would be a horrible loss. But thankfully, we do have the word of God. We have the truth of who God is, which helps us to worship in spirit and truth, which is also to wage spiritual war. Worshiping God is a weapon in spiritual warfare, specifically against the fear that we face in life. Think back to when Christ was tempted in, in the desert by, by Satan in the Gospel of, of Matthew, chapter 4. The crux of what Satan was trying to do was to have Jesus bow down and worship him. But what was the response of Christ? Jesus quotes scripture. Jesus comes to the word of God to defend himself from the attacks of, of Satan. The word of God is truth. As we worship in spirit and truth, we worship in the light of the word of God. A pattern we see in scripture is that when people submit to God and worship him, that the devil flees. We see this with Christ in Matthew 4.10, which says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. James 4.7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When we worship God, we are submitting to God. The temptation that accompanies fear is to submit to the fear rather than to submit to God. It's to submit to the fear rather than to submit to God. When we submit ourselves to the fears of life, we become captivated by them. Submitting to our fears can even change our thoughts and our behavior. Think back to what was going on with David. In his fear, he, he acts like a madman. 
David's fear of the Philistines drove him to act like an insane person. Fear can influence us to act irrationally. By God's grace, we can submit ourselves to God who is good, who cares about his people and is for his people. The act of submitting yourself to God is an act of worship to God. Worship reveals our heart. Worship reveals what we consider worthy of our adoration and praise. When we worship God, we are proclaiming that the Lord alone is God, that there is no other. All praise and glory is due to Christ, and my allegiance is with Christ and no other. This is what we proclaim in worship. I'd like to point out a New Testament example of of worshiping in the face of fear and persecution. In Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas working together. Paul casts out a demon from a slave girl. The owners of this slave girl were profiting off the fact that she had this demon, but now they they aren't able to make the money that they used to make because Paul cast the demon out. So they took Paul and Silas to the magistrates and uh, picking up in verse 20, so Acts 16, verse 20, it says this. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are, are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave order to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into, the, into, into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas are undergoing some harsh persecution here. And honestly, if, if the local authorities were to publicly strip me of my clothes, publicly beat me with rods, inflicting many blows, and then throw me into prison, fasten me to stocks, if I'm honest, there would be some fear in my heart. Um, That's a bad day. Um, And we see Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God in the midst of this painful and fearful situation. They're placing their trust in God and directing their worship towards God. I believe that we need to point out something here, that David, when he writes Psalm 56, is... There's a hard and discouraging situation he's in the middle of. He's running for his life. And Paul and Silas are having a painful day and are undergoing serious suffering. We're not promised that God will make our lives easy and without fearful circumstances and situations. In fact, we're promised that there will be suffering, that there will be persecution for those who follow Jesus. Um, We're promised that we will face difficulty. We're promised that we will face suffering. But in the midst of 
the difficulty, in the midst of the suffering, we can rest in God who is trustworthy and direct our worship to him all along the way of life. Um, now, you may be thinking, this is hard. In the face of fear, I'm to place my trust in God. In the face of fear, I'm to direct my worship toward God. How am I to do this? Uh, or you may even be thinking, why would I do this? I think these are good questions to, to consider, and this brings us to our, our third response to fear in Psalm 56 that I believe helps to answer those questions. Thirdly, in the face of fear, remember what is to come in eternity. In the face of fear, remember what is to come in eternity. So in the the midst of David's fear, he asks the questions, what can flesh do to me? And he also asks, "What, what can man do to me? The answer to these questions could actually be pretty scary, if you think about that, right? David is running from Saul, who's tried to pin him against the wall with a spear. That's something that flesh could do to him. David has entered into Gath, the hometown of Goliath, with the sword of Goliath that he used to behead Goliath. The people of Gath could decide to take David and behead him with the sword of Goliath in revenge. That's something that man could do to him. The list could go on answering those questions, but what is the heart behind these questions? These two questions of what can flesh do to me, what can man do to me, are not meant to highlight the infinite amount of things that man could do, but to highlight what man cannot do. There is nothing man can do to your soul. Man cannot do anything to us in an ultimate sense. When it comes to eternal consequences, mankind cannot condemn a soul to, to, to hell, to death. Jesus reminds us of this truth in Matthew 10:28. He says, "And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell." Mankind may be able to kill David, but they cannot condemn his soul to hell. And David is resting in the salvation that God provides. When fear grips your heart, remember the salvation that was provided to you in Christ. When we remember what is to come in eternity, salvation for those who repent and believe in Jesus, We're moved to place our trust in the Lord and to direct our worship towards him. And look at the last verse of the psalm. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. In the face of fear, David is remembering that God has ultimately delivered his soul from death. He is a God who saves. He is a God who is able to provide salvation to lost sinners like you and me. He is a God who is able to deliver our 
souls from eternal death and bring us into eternal life with him. And this is why David in verse 12 says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. The fact that God has rescued him from death moves David to live in worship and thankfulness. And David was an anointed king who was being sought out to be put to death. And God, in his mercy, granted safety and deliverance to David. And David escapes from the danger of Saul, and David is able to flee from the danger in Gath um, because of the provision and protection of, of the Lord. But there was another anointed king who God did not deliver from death. There was another anointed king who found himself surrounded by enemies who wanted to kill him. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the anointed king, was delivered to death on the cross. Why would this king, Jesus, die? He died in order that your sin would be cleansed. He died in order that you would have a perfect and right relationship with God. He died to deliver your soul from death. He died that you may walk before God in the light of life. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead so that those who repent of their sin and believe in him would not perish, but instead would have eternal life. So why is it that we, in the face of fears of life, should place our trust in God and direct our worship towards God? It's because he is worthy. And God is trustworthy with our souls. He is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. He is a God who is mighty to save. Who is it that is able to deliver our soul from death? Who is it that can keep our feet from falling? And who is it that can make us walk before God in the light of life? It's Jesus. So the next time that you find yourself afraid, you find fear gripping your heart, I encourage you to place your trust in God. He is, he is worthy of your trust. I encourage you to direct your worship towards God. He's worthy of your worship. And I encourage you to remember what is to come in eternity for those who repent in, of their sin and trust in, in Jesus. Uh, you, have, you have hope of eternal life. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we, there are things in life that we're fearful of. There are circumstances and situations that bring about fear as we worry about what could happen in the future. Our imaginations can run wild. God, I ask that as we go throughout life, as we are living in things come and happen in life that 
stir fear in our hearts, Lord. I ask that you'd help us to place our trust in you, that we would direct our, our worship towards you, that we would remember Christ and what he's, what he's done on our behalf, that he paid the penalty of, of sin, that he died on the cross for, for our sin, that we, that we would be cleansed, that we would be made righteous, and that he rose again from the grave. And so in the midst of our fears, that we would remember what Christ has done, that we would remember what is to come in eternity, and that would uh, compel us to, to trust you and to, and to worship you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.